We're glad to be here today. We make our home in Ankeny, Iowa, and we have three adult children, all of them um, saved and walking with the Lord, which we thank God for, all of them married. We have nine grandchildren, and the tenth one is due really, really shortly. Could get a text message during the message. If she gets distracted, that's probably, eh, Finn is here. Yeah, so anyway, just to, 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 in full disclosure, we need to just say that we're kind of waiting. Take your Bibles with me to the book of Acts chapter 13. You're saying, I thought my notes said Acts chapter 8. Well, they do. And I thank uh, Brenda and Pastor Kyle for making good arrangements today. But sometimes you have a James 4 experience. Right? We have plans to do this and this and this and this. But we ought to say, if the Lord wills, we'll do this and this. And God said, preach something different today. And so sometimes God does that to lead you a different direction. And uh, I want to preach uh, what, he, what God laid upon my heart. So you can do whatever you would like with the axe. Turn on your mic. Is my mic not on? I think it's on. Is it on? Is it? I'm using the pulpit mic. I have the red light is on. Is that? You have a cue card for that? Because I'm learning to really respond to cue cards well. All right, pulpit mic will be good. Excellent. Your mic is dead. Use the, this is good. Your mic is dead. Use the pulpit mic. This is good. I have to write this in my baby book. This is really a first experience for me. Um, this little thing right here, this is the pulpit mic. Wow. Okay, now I'm completely distracted. I have no idea where we're going for it. Anyway, you've had those James 4 moments where God changes your plan. We ought to say, and God did impress upon my heart, it's important to be loved speaking about evangelism, that God would direct my heart to Acts chapter 13. So please, with me, read the book of Acts chapter 13 and uh, verse 1. Now, there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a member of the court of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were worshiping or ministering the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day to worship you, this day to open your word and have the Spirit of God speak to our hearts. Thank you for this good church family. Bless our hearts through the preaching of the word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I first met Pastor Mike Hess several years ago. He had just recently come to the state of Iowa, and we were speaking up at the Iowa Regular Baptist Camp, which I think he's there this week, actually speaking. And um, I was the morning speaker. He was the evening speaker. We got to know him well and appreciated him and glad to have him part of our state fellowship. That was my first uh, time to spend with Pastor Hess. And several years have gone by, and he had been blessed by his ministry for all of these years. And now he's gone. And about four weeks ago today, I think, was when you said goodbye to him officially. We had wished we could be here, invited to be here, always glad to be invited to come back. But we had other speaking engagements that God gave us a rich ministry morning that day. But we were here in spirit and wished we could be here to say goodbye with you to him. But we weren't. And of course, with all of that transition comes the tremendous emotions that go with this type of a thing. Uh, you loved him and his wife. And they loved you as well. Had many, many years of faithful ministry, and God blessed and has been enriched 
and God worked in his heart to lead him to something that God had called him to. And so on the one hand, you're, you're happy for him and for our fellowship, and I am happy for him and for our fellowship. And yes, sadness at the same time, and maybe a little bit of disappointment or frustration and all that goes with it, and, and, and the deacons are going, oh, here we go again. And some are saying, oh, I've never done this before, and that may be true of you. But now begins a transition to the calling of a new senior pastor. And I think it's good to learn how to think biblically, how to respond to a situation like that. We always go back to the word to get over our emotions, say, how would God lead us through this type of thing by thinking biblically? And I want to look to Acts chapter 13, because this kind of is what took place in your church. Let's look at a biblical response in the word of God and just things to remember. A lot of Paul's preaching were things that they already knew, and you know this, but he reminded them of that, because maybe it was a new application, a new circumstance, the things that we've known how to have a fresh meaning to us by things that have taken place. A lot of um, our preaching would be reminding thing, the saints of these things, and Paul said to, to Timothy, you put the saints in remembrance of things, you're a good minister of the gospel. So these are things that you know, but I think of things you need to remember applying to this time in the life of your, your church. So looking at Acts chapter 13, these three verses, I want to bring out some truths about God's character and how we respond to them and remember these things today. So point number one from the text is that God is gracious. God is gracious, so we need to thank him for that. This was a very prominent, successful, growing, vibrant local church, the church in Antioch. It was a pillar church. As a vibrant, growing church, it almost had you called a dream team of people serving. Prophets and teachers and Barnabas, Simeon, Lucius, Manan, and Saul. That's a dream team. And they were effective and growing and, and instrumental in, in the, the propagation of the gospel. And God had blessed them tremendously with this type of a ministry. Not every church is like that. We travel among our 97 churches in our Iowa Fellowship of Regular Baptist Churches, and we, we have a fellowship based on a rich heritage of being regular Baptist churches and in articles of faith that bind us together with the truths of the word. But beyond that, there's great diversity in size and, and scope and culture and ministry and worship style, and we embrace all of that. Some churches are vibrant and growing and healthy and thriving, and some are hanging by a thread on life support. Some are dwindling and just a fraction of what they used to be during the middle of the last century during revivalism. And they're remembering all the good old days when the auditorium was filled and hundreds of people there and now there's a handful of people left. That happens more time than you would think. And some of that they have reaped what they have sown and they have lost a gospel focus and maybe didn't have good leadership and stopped reaching out to people getting saved. And Joe Hayes, my predecessor, said for every church that closes, they all had one thing in common, People stopped getting saved. We're always bleeding people off the other end, aren't we? We get old, and sometimes some of us, we die, and our kids get married, and they move off, and people leave. We're always losing people, but none are coming in the front door. And so we travel among our churches. We see a lot of healthy churches. Some are hanging on by a thread, and some on life support. Some are concerned, and some are not. Some are stable, have lots of money, but have no burden to reach the lost. And I've, I've talked with public committees and asked them the questions to get to know them, heard amazing things that just have surprised me. Some of them are common. I always ask the question, how many adult conversions in the last five years? Adult. Typical answer, none. 
None. One guy said, I think it's been 10 to 20 years. And they have plenty of money, but no one's coming in by conversion. I asked one church, what's your plan to reach the gospel? We, we just hope people come to church, and we hope they come back. That's not a good plan. God told us to go and bring the gospel to them, and so many churches are not seeing conversions, not vibrant, hanging on by a thread, and just plain church. In fact, one church I talked to, and they said, we just want a pastor who's going to come and visit us. They wanted a caretaker, not a shepherd, but a caretaker. After my plea with them to reach out to the unsaved in their community, get outside the doors of their church and make relationships with people and connect with them and care for them and cultivate friendships and engage them in conversation and point them to Christ, they said, we just want someone to take care of us until we die. Not every church is a growing healthy church, and some of that is only they're reaping what they have sown. But for every good, growing, healthy church, I think like this one, God has blessed you richly. You've had good leadership and a good, growing church family, and God, like this church, has graciously blessed you with a growing, vibrant, healthy, key, instrumental church and our fellowship. Roughly half the churches in our state fellowship have 50 to 60 people or under. And some of them are thriving, growing, healthy churches in their little communities. There are very few like this. You're one of a handful of this size and scope and magnitudes. I, I would say to thank God for that. And never take that for granted. There are churches in our fellowship that used to be over 300 people that are today, they no longer exist. And they never thought that would happen. Then how would they ever get there? And wise pastors will say of a growing large church, never presume on the grace of God. This doesn't have to last. Christ promised to build his church. He didn't promise to build your church necessarily. And God, God might remove someone's candlestick. So here we see that God is gracious in giving them a vibrant, growing, healthy, sending local church. And this church is too. So you can thank God that God has given you such church as that, and be a good steward of the grace of God. Secondly, I see that God is sovereign. God is gracious, we can be thankful, God is sovereign, and we rest in that. We rest in that. It's not just a theology that we don't live by. You rest in his sovereignty every single day of your life, that God is in control, Christ is the head of this church, he preeminent over creation, over resurrection, He's the head of the body, which is a church. He's preeminent in everything. And God works all things after the counsel of his own will, out of the pleasure of his will, and the goodness of what God is working his will in the hearts of his life and his churches. <clears throat> God is sovereign, and we rest in that. I happen to be, by the grace of God, like, like Ruth happened on the field of Boaz, on the National Rep Search Committee. It's partly my fault your pastor's gone. That's a big weight to carry, by the way. How did that ever happen? I'm on the Council of 18, which was surprise enough, and they picked several to be on it, and here I am with other people on the search committee to find the next national rep. This happened about a year ago. What was I thinking? And so we began the process. And so, but that, this is not why your pastor left. The sovereign God who saved him and set him apart for the gospel ministry, and then years ago gave him to you to be your pastor, had other work for him to do in the cause of Christ bigger than your church. 
A sovereign God did this. Look at the text. The Spirit of God set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And there's a real sense that this was a call of God upon his life that you recognize and he recognized a sovereign God is the one who set him apart for this work. It's a sovereign God at work and we rest in the truth that a sovereign God, the head of the church, had work for, your, for Pastor Mike has to do and Christina. And we rest in that. Amidst all the emotions and frustration and uncertainty of who's going to be our next pastor and how long it's going to take, I don't know. Average church, nine months to 15 months would be typical. Sometimes sooner, sometimes longer. A lot of work for the deacons, a lot of work for the pulpit committee, a lot of prayer and surveys and resumes and interviews and disappointments and dead ends and all the things, but you'll see the hand of God in giving you a pastor. But God is sovereign and he sets people apart because they belong to him. If Jesus Christ has saved you, you belong to him. You were bought with a price and you were not your own. You glorify him and your body, which are his. So every one of us who knows Christ is owned by our Savior. Every servant of his serves him where he wants him to serve him. And shortly after Sandy and I came to Christ uh, in 1983, back in the days of Noah, um, I was 28, she was 26. I'd been a civil engineer and a business degree, built a couple of hydro plants in, in the West in Alaska, came to Christ, came to faith, uh, Baptist Bible College, and it was a brand new believer with a clean slate, and God convinced me early on to give my life to him. I shared my story of how, how Sand and I had come to Christ, and Dr. Davikos asked to share it with the evangelism classes at faith, so I did. And pray that God would use that. And a gal got saved, and I was just overwhelmed that God would use my simple story of the grace of God in my life to save her. So I went to the locker room at Faith for tennis class. That baffled me, but still I went to tennis class. And I wept. I said, God, if you will use me in such a simple way to bring people to Christ, I'll go anywhere you want me to go, be anything you want me to be. And I kind of meant it. I did as much as I could at the time. I'd never read Romans 12, but I just did it. Paul pleased with people who know it and haven't done it. It just seemed like the right thing to do, and I did mean it. And your pastor has done that too, because he belonged to him. And he goes where he has work for him to do. So God is gracious. We thank him for that. God is sovereign. We rest in that. This was his doing and his will. But thirdly, God is amazing. God is amazing. He's awe-inspiring. And in the early church in Acts chapter 2, after the preaching of the gospel with, by Peter, that Jesus was the Christ, the Messiah, and he pleased with them to repent and believe in him and be immersed and be added to the church, they devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, breaking bread, and prayer. And a sense of awe came on of the people. And a sense of fear, and the word fear is the word phobos, which can mean being afraid, which in this sense is not. It can mean to be alarmed, like that just woke somebody up. I knew it works every time. 
or a sense of amazement or a sense of wonder, like when you see the Grand Canyon for the first time, or the Rocky Mountains, or lava bursting forth, or the Pacific Ocean, or, or the Aurora Borealis that we have seen with our own eyes, your jaw just dropped, and God did that to them. A sense of awe came upon them, and they were amazed that God would do these things to redeem sinners. They saw the work of the apostles, the signs and wonders they did through mere mortals that were now redeemed, and a sense of awe came upon them, because God was amazing. Never get over the sense of wonder of God. Never get over that. God is an amazing being, and now we know him, and we love him. He redeemed us by his son. And God is an amazing thing to even give you the gospel. Your own conversion is an amazing thing. That God sought you out, put people in your life, and gave you understanding, convicted of sin, and made you born again, all because of his grace. That's an amazing thing. And that God gave us the gospel for us to give to people. That's an amazing thing, that we have that treasure in earthen vessels. The treasure of the gospel. And you're in a church, oh, just popping in from time to time. And if we don't have a speaking appointment like today, we just pop in to our churches. And um, we like to get to know that not every church would invite us to come. Some are living kind of on the fringes, and that's okay. We just pop in and make a friend. And we show up, and we worship with them, and we get a big picture of things happening in churches. Not all churches are as welcoming as yours. We popped into a church on a Sunday morning and stuck our head in the kitchen. We walked right by the greeters without a word being said, and we said, hi. He said, what are you doing here? That was a great way to welcome, and nobody knew us. The fun thing is we go anonymously because people don't know us. And it, it got worse. Sandy put her Bible down in the second pew, and a gal sat on it and wouldn't get off of it when she reached for it. I was in a missions conference in another church, and someone from this country and this country, and I was one of the speakers, and we sat in about the fourth row back, which was way too far back, because you might sit in someone's pew. A mortal sin in some circles. How do we know? Because a couple stood there and stared at us, kind of glared at us. Without a word, we said, I think we'll move. And they just sat down, and not a word was said. What a great welcome. Hi, Pastor. We have an interesting perspective of travel among our churches. We were in one church, and we had a great experience. Uh, the pastor was on vacation. A deacon was, had been asked to preach. He's willing to do it. He was scared to death. He was literally shaking in the fourth pew back. I went up and put my hand on his shoulder. I said, you're God's man for the hour. You preach what God laid upon your heart. And that comforted him. He went up and preached and gave a great illustration of how we have this treasure in earthen vessels. He said in New Testament times, they put precious, valuable objects in clay jars. That's what they did. It seems almost ridiculous, but that's what they did with the Dead Sea Scrolls. He said, God put the treasure of the gospel in this earthen vessel. Isn't that amazing? That God would choose us to be his ambassadors he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. He gave us to have the beautiful beat to bring the gospel to people that have never heard. That's an amazing thing that God would do. Then God gave us his word to read it, to study it, to apply it, to teach it. And then God gave us the church. The church is an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing that Christ, the head of the church, um, it's the pillar and ground of the truth. 
in this dispensation, central to God's program for this time in his plan. Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Paul said that the glory, his glory would be in the church. We are the manifestation of his glory. It is his body, we're his temple, we're living stones. He walks in the midst of her, we're his family, his bride, and the church is powerful, and the gates of hell will not prevail against her. All because of the work of Christ in his church. The church is an amazing thing that God has created. But not only that, in this text, the church was given responsibility of recognizing the hand of God in the life of his servants. So as the Spirit of God says, separate me, Barnabas and Saul, he was talking to the church. You set them apart. You pray. You lay hands on them and you send them off. You help them confirm and affirm what I'm doing in their life. And that's a role that a church plays in recognizing the hand of God in people in your church to what God is doing. If you're the only one that thinks God is doing it, probably God isn't doing it. But he will use the church to recognize that call, to affirm that call, and agree with you, and partner with you. The laying on of hands was a partnering that you were with you, and they sent them off. What a vibrant church, an amazing thing, and we're humbled by that. That's the role of a church. I remember five years ago, right about now, minding my own business, pastoring our church in Carroll. We'd been there for almost 24 years, and I got a phone call from the search committee of the Council of Ten of the IARBC. They said, your name came up. I didn't quite laugh, but I felt like it. As a possible candidate for the next state rep, and uh, I prayed and said, I, nope, absolutely not. Why would I want to do that? I'm thinking, why would anyone want to do that? That was in the back of my mind. I told them no, with no uncertain terms. As God would have it, the next month I was invited to be the speaker and had been invited to speak at the annual Pastor Wise Refresh Retreat up at our camp. And as I, as I preached and visited, God changed my heart, a burden for the people, the pastor, and the churches of our state of Iowa. I said, we need to have a conversation. That became an interviewing process and a growing burden that God may be in this. We told our kids, and they said, Dad, you need to do this. Well, that meant something to me. Our kids are now grown. They're spiritually mature. And I, I trust their judgment. And they said, Dad, you need to do this. And I thought you might say that. And I'm trembling at the responsibility, overwhelmed by it, but sense that God might be in it. And then I told our deacons. <laughs> I had met with the Council of Ten. They seemed to affirm it. They were behind it. And uh, they were convinced to recommend me to the fellowship and then was telling my deacons. Um, men that we had led to Christ and love for many, many years. We had our deacons meeting and I said, guys, I have one more thing I need to share. And that's when the bomb dropped and the air gets sucked out of the room because everybody knows something like this is coming. I said, I think God is calling me to be the next Iowa State rep. Absolute silence. And then the tears. And then the discussion. In the midst of the weeping, they said, Pastor, you need to do this. That meant something to me. None of us was happy about this. 
except confident that God was in this and affirmed by men that knew be best. They're not wanting what was best for them or them being content, but they wanted what God wanted, and they knew that God was in this, and they said, Pastor, you need to do this. That was Wednesday, and then came Sunday to tell the church family. Ministries filled with difficult moments, this ranks near the top of difficult things to convey publicly. So I preached in the morning knowing what was coming and I have no idea how it went. Got to the end of the, end of the service said, folks, I have one more thing I need to share with you today. And the, and the air got sucked out of the room again. I said, I've been meeting with the state search committee for several months, convinced that God has set me apart for ministry among our churches in our state. You can hear a pin drop. And I, and I couldn't say it without tears. And then the tears begin to flow and the conversation starts and I close the service and began to mingle with our church family. It was a sad moment. 23 and a half years of ministry, we have, we've watched them be born, saved, grown, and be married. And people come to Christ and men who were, were saved are now deacons. This was our life and our family. And I, it, and I want to stay there till I died, if that was God would have it. And we loved them and, and never thought of leaving. And uh, this was completely off my radar, not anything I'd contemplated. But we knew that God was in it. And one older gal, her name is Anne. And, and over the years, she had, her husband had committed suicide before we came. And she was a godly woman, but not very outgoing. And she had grown so much would share the gospel. She became kind of the matriarch of all those young guys trying to play church. She just was that kind of a godly woman and respected what she said to us young men. And I stood right here and I hugged her and just her body just throbbed with tears. She said, Pastor, you need to do this. This is what God wants you to do. I knew then that God was in it for sure because God uses the church to confirm what we think he's doing. That's an amazing role that you play in what God is doing and sending people from the church into ministry. Whether it's missionaries or your pastor, look at what he said. You set apart, you pray, you fast, you lay their hands, and you send them off. And Archer family said to the fellowship, you can have our pastor. We will give him to you. We will let you have him. We don't really want to, but we want your will for his life. You can have our pastor. And when we met at Anthony Baptist Church and the, the fellowship, the messengers voted and they gave an overwhelming vote. I was overwhelmed. And our church family was there alongside him because they were the ones that said, you can have our pastor, we send him to you. That's an amazing thing that God does through his church. And we're humbled by that. And your pastor went through that same process and all the emotions with him. We started a search, a committee was formed, names were submitted, nominations were given, his name was one of them. This wasn't on his radar at all. Completely baffled him that anyone would consider him for this position. 
So we began to meet with people, and some people took them off themselves off the list and compiled a list of those that seemed to best fit the profile of the new national rep to lead our fellowship of churches, and his name was near the top, and so we began to contact, and God began to give him a burden. And the first thing we said is, Pastor Mike, what does Christina think about this? I always ask them, what does your wife think? Is she in this with you? She said, God has prepared him for this. It's exactly what he should be doing. We said, what does your staff think? And they're thinking, oh boy. <laughs> they said, we, we think he should do this too. Because God uses the church and people that know us best to affirm and recognize his hand in our life. And we're humbled by that. It's a significant role you play as a local church. And that isn't done. God's going to set apart people in your church for full-time ministry. You have to prepare them and recognize them and set them apart and send them off. A healthy church is a sending church. And God, and we're humbled by that. God, God is amazing. A year, about a year ago right now, Sandy was minding her own business and working at the bookstore at Faith. Baptist Bible College Ankeny, our son-in-law, Tim Little, uh, is the bookstore manager. He teaches Hebrew as well. And she was contentedly working at the bookstore part-time. And um, we travel a lot. We're gone pretty much every weekend out in churches. And, but she had that moment where she said, Honey, I love what we do. We're overwhelmed by what we do, but we love what we do, helping churches, helping pastors. And she said, I really miss the week-in, week-out investment in the lives of my young ladies that she had through her patch club and through the, the moms that were there. I, I miss that discipleship investment in their life. I'm just missing that. I'm okay, but I'm missing that. It wasn't long after that that Dr. Jim Tillotson, the president of faith, gave her a phone call and said, Sandy, I need, you need to come to the president's office. He called back and said, by the way, you're not in trouble, which is really important, you know. <laughs> um, we need to talk. And so she goes in and he says, you, you know that Lance and Carrie Augsburger... The former dean of students and dean of women that someone might know. We'd get to see both of these girls today. Sandy's speaking tonight at Maranatha with Carrie. That's, that's kind of fun. So we'll say hi to your sister for you. That's really, really fun. He says, you know that the, 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 it's been vacated to be the dean of women, so I'm looking for a mom with years of ministry experience. And Sandy's thinking, who could I recommend to him? And clueless at the moment, and she says, he said, Sandy, yes, I want you. And she said, Jim, can I call you Jim? <laughs> He's the kind of guy you can call Jim in that setting. Could you please repeat that? You need to call my husband. Now that's a good move right there. He called me and said, absolutely, she, God has wired her for training and discipling. She's a, she's a gifted mentor in training our children, teaching women how to train their children. She, she just thrives on that. I said, this is a literal no-brainer. God has wired you for this. And so she was afraid of abandoning a son-in-law because he was working on his dissertation and leaving the bookstore. And uh, so she talked to Tim, and, and he knew that she talked to the president and wondered what it's about. And she said, well, maybe, maybe Dr. Jim wants you to do a ladies' workshop coming up at a conference, and uh, no, um, he goes, I know, I bet he wants you to be the dean of women. And she said, how did you know that? Mom, God wired you for this. 
You need to do this. And both of those times petrify you because they're way outside our comfort zone. And when God said to send forth workers, the word send means to push them out of their comfort zone and throw them off of the dock and say, swim. And sometimes God leaves you out of your comfort zone and sends you forward where you've never gone before. That was that moment for her. But yet underneath was the confidence that God had called her and people affirmed that. It's amazing that God uses people that we know and the church to do that. That's a wonderful benefit of a local church. Number four, God is gracious, so we thank him for that. God has uniquely blessed this church. God is sovereign, and so we rest in that. God is amazing to use you, so we're humbled by that. But number four, God is faithful, and we trust him for that. God is faithful. And Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, as you begin this transition, will be more than memory verses. You will live and breathe by them. As God said, to trust him with all of your heart. Lead not to your understanding and always acknowledge him. And he will direct your steps. And you will need him to direct your steps through this transition to find a new senior pastor. But in that transition, God will direct you. He will grow you. He will care for you. Like James chapter 1, he will give you wisdom as you plead for him. He will stretch you. He will use you. He, you, you have good pastors. Most of our churches don't have a staff of pastors. You have good, godly men. You have godly leadership. You have a mature, growing church. And God will give you a senior pastor because he's already picked him out. He already knows who he is. That man probably doesn't know who he is. He may not even be looking yet. But he will lead you to him. We see that time and time again, we did an installation for a new pastor a week ago today. One of our churches had been kind of drifting theologically and... and um, pastors that were connected to the fellowship and you, how do you reach them? So we just pulled our pop-in Sunday morning thing uh, a couple of years ago and made some friends, got a wonderfully warm welcome from them and made some friends and just left it at that. A year later, a year ago, their pastor suddenly resigned. Just church was reeling. They said, let's give Tim a call. So I got a call from the deacon chairman and could you come and help us and walk us through the process of calling a pastor and see what you can do for us and with interviews and resumes and things like that. I said, be glad to help. Well, I gave them names that they could have for good pulpit supply and so they were thrilled with that and, and uh, gave them a name for someone to be an interim and they, they called an interim pastor, former regular Baptist pastor in our fellowship and um, gave them names to check and they did some checking and fell in love with their interim pastor. And they said, why not just call him? They said, let's be diligent, let's follow the process. And they checked out the names, and he was still at the top of the list. So they called him to be their pastor. And they said, we finally have a shepherd. They had a series of not-so-good pastors. They weren't really good shepherds. They said, we love being shepherded. And he loves us. And he's reaching the community and helping us and equipping us. And they called him, and last Sunday was like the wedding the public announcement of, here's a new pastor, we called him, we love him. It was, it was a phenomenal Sunday morning. A couple of years ago, they were floundering. But God had directed them to a good, godly man that was just the right fit for them, got a unanimous vote, 
it's a, re- it's a relatively diverse church of people that are in it. I mean, every church is diverse. Some churches are strange. Some are stranger than others. But, but it, it was a diverse group of people, even to some degree theologically uh, and from background. But they had unanimous vote. And, and, and it, it was a day of celebration. That, and part of the process of installation was to, was to recount how God had led them every step of the way. That was part of what they did. And you couldn't help but rejoice that the good hand of our God was upon them. I've seen that every single time. So God is faithful. He will direct your steps. He will give you a senior pastor. You just need to be diligent and be patient. He will lead you to him. And God will write a new chapter in the life of this church. That's to some degree kind of exciting. And so that you might be still missing the Hesses. And I understand that. And you should. And you'll always love them and maybe wish that they were still here. But God had other plans. We all serve a chunk of time in the places that we serve. Even our life is just a vapor and a chunk of time in the history of the church. We serve and go at God's discretion for his glory. But God is gracious and so thank him. He is sovereign, rest in that. He is amazing, be humbled, and God is faithful, so trust him. And God is writing a new chapter in life of this church. And I, I, it ought to thrill your heart in, in the midst of the tears and maybe frustration and maybe questions and how did this happen? God is still in the head of his church and he will lead you and direct you and giving you a new senior pastor. You can be confident of that. You, you can go to the bank with that because God is faithful and can be trusted. And he always makes us walk by faith. Because without that, it's possible to please him. So he will create circumstances where we have to trust him. And you're going to have some closed doors and disappointments and things along the way, but God will prove himself to be faithful to you. And he has in the past. How I've proven him over and over. You've had good pastors. They've had good ministries. You even had Pastor Crawford here for a while. He's a good pastor. He's a good friend of ours. Known him ever since Bible college days. This church has been blessed by God. Be a good steward of that. And thank God for that. And trust him. Rest in him. Let him lead you. And he will. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for your grace in our life, the life of this good church. Direct their steps as they begin the search process for a senior pastor to find the man that you have chosen to be their shepherd. Encourage them, teach them, grow them. Help them to focus on walking with the Lord and reaching the lost with the gospel and growing the church uh, by the grace of God during the process. We give you the praise and the glory for all of this, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.